Brut, New Art on Stage. Welcome to the fourth podcast of the Art of Assembly, a series produced by Brut Theater in Vienna in collaboration with Wiener Festwochen and Münchner Kammerspiele. My name is Florian Malzacher. I'm a performing arts creator, dramaturg and writer, and the host of this series of talks. The podcast is based on a live online conversation on April 10th, 2021. In the art of assembly, we try to investigate the role, but also the potential of assemblies in politics, activism and art, marking the 10th anniversary of the square movements that spread all over the planet, beginning with the social protests in Tunisia and Egypt and continuing in Europe, the Americas, Africa, Asia till today. And by the way, if you are joining us for the first time, you might want to have a look at uh, our website, art-of-assembly.net, where you find the lectures and podcasts of the past editions, as well as a lot of links and videos, etc., related to our topics. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by the theater director, Claudia Bosse in Vienna, by the activists and artists Savitri D and the Reverend Billy from the Church of Stop Shopping in New York City, and by a cultural historian Alia Mossalam from Cairo, currently living in Berlin. I will introduce them all uh, more closely a little bit later. Thank you very much for joining. Today we will have a look at a rather specific form of assembly, the choirs. We talk about choirs of precarity and power. And um, well, without wanting to show off my uh, my theater studies, and of course, it's very, not very original to talk about the Greek choir, but maybe it's interesting at least to mention that uh, there is an idea of representation already then when the choir represents to a degree the polis, the people, or at least part of the people, certain segments of the people, and also how it comments the course of events and um, maybe irritates the protagonist and sometimes uh, even carefully challenges the gods. So maybe that's something where, uh, where we can relate to to a certain degree uh, till today. And of course, this question of representation of the people will be probably a topic tonight, how much choirs are these. And um, besides the, the, ro to, well, the role of the choir within assemblies, but also the choir as an assembly itself. So it's in a way both that we want to look a bit at. And one reason why I was interested in thinking a bit more closely about this is, of course, that choirs bring to political movements something that uh, is often very much missing in political struggles. As Chantal Mouffe always stresses, the leftist movements or the left in general often forgets the role of effect in political movements, in mobilizing. And there's too much focus on rational, rational uh, arguments, basically. And I think that's, of course, something that um, that choirs do, they bring an effective part into the, into the game and both for the people that are part of the choir, but also for the people that encounter these choirs, I would say. So, it, so it has an effective role for both. And also I think for me, choirs are kind of a, a strange thing somewhere between self-empowerment, but also submission at the same moment. And I think we will hear a bit about this also. And it can, they can be, a means of collective articulation, but they can also be in um, a demonstration of power to a degree. Actually, I, I think I said it once already, my first encounter of the human mic at Occupy Wall Street was actually a moment where somebody was si silenced who didn't have the right to speak at this moment. So it was quite a violent 
moment of of uh, putting the right i mean there was a reason for it i guess but but to tell somebody you are not talking now somebody else is talking and so the power there's also a power between this collective behind this collective speaking and that was it was interesting for me that i encountered something which is rightfully of course uh, mentioned a lot as a really interesting instrument the human mic to to have the first experience also of something that is also ambivalent maybe to a degree or or, it, or, or has a power a certain power I will maybe leave it with these brief remarks because we have four guests tonight, so we will have a lot to talk about. Um, we will have, as always, um, in this case, three inputs, not two, um, of about 15 minutes each. So we will start um, uh, with a, um, a lecture and video essay by Claudia Bosse, which is a pre-recorded video, then a, a video uh, by the Sh uh, Church of Stop Shopping, and then a live lecture by Ali Moselem. Um, I will briefly talk who's here already and then give a little bit more formal introduction also before each input. Um, Savitri D and Reverend Billy are the founders of the uh, Church of Stop Shopping and the Stop Shopping Choir. And actually, I, I think, I mean, I knew about your work before, but the first time I saw it in action, so to say, was also during Occupy New York, I think, if I remember it right. And um, to see like how, how the choir was part of the, of the movement, but also went for actions out and with this consolation of you, Billy, as a, as a preacher figure, also an ambivalent, ambivalent figure of, of a white male TV angelist uh, type of preacher and the choir, in, in in relation to each other and in response and so on was quite quite interesting to see and also to immediately see that this is obviously not la pour la because when you were entering a bank for example to exercise uh, cash machines uh, it immediately became also a very intense situation so police was coming you got arrested and so on so 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 something that you also encounter in your struggle so it was also this became very clear and then uh, a little bit later, I don't know, at some point when I was um, allowed to, to be at the rehearsal of yours, I saw that there's something else to this choir also, that it is really a social structure also, uh, and, and a living organism, but a social structure that has a diversity of people and backgrounds that actually arts often talks about, but is seldom encountered. So that also it's really, it is a group of people that really come from very different strands of lives and backgrounds and so on, which I found quite remarkable also when we talk about the choir and we will talk a little bit about it later. Um, Aliyah Salam, I also met uh, actually at the same time around at, in, in Cairo. And, uh, and I really remember, and that's why I asked you then because in terms of choirs, I always remember that you were talking about the role of the chant in the in the revolution, but also as a tradition that exists before that even has um, protagonists that are famous for being for creating chants. Uh, and all this was, of course, super interesting for me because it didn't really uh, relate to the Ho 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 Chi Minh chants I knew from our demonstrations. Um, uh, and uh, also to understand. Uh, that the role of chance is actually to organize, to communicate in a very diverse group, to even find some kind of consensus on a square where thousands, tens of thousands of people are on. And you will talk about it, and I'm really curious because I was always wondering about it, and now I'm, I'm really happy to, to learn a bit more about it and also the role it plays in, in, in more recent times. Um, last but not least, Claudia, Claudia Bosse. Um, 
you have worked with with choirs, of course, in in for many years in your theatrical work, and um, dealt a lot with the aesthetical potential of the choir, the the how the choir functions. But also, I think there's also um, an interest in the political side to it, of course, and that. But even so, your work are more in the artistic side when we compare it tonight. So it will be interesting to see also where it, where it's positioned in this. And of course, you put a high interest also in the musicality of language. And I think you somewhere called yourself a, a metric freak. Uh, so so you have a high interest also in the rhythm of the language and how things are created. And by this, you have worked with very different kind of choirs, uh, even with. Um, um, the citizens of uh, Braunschweig, I think it was, like where you had 500 amateurs, citizens of the city as a choir. Uh, you worked a lot also in public space, outside of theater spaces, which is also, I think, interesting in our context. And um, and also, I would say, of course, you in this round, you also represent a specific tradition of choir in, in theater and maybe also specifically in the German-speaking uh, theater in recent years uh, with very different approaches. but from somebody like Einar Schleif up to examples now from uh, Volker Lösch and uh, Marta Gornitzka and, and others, which are very different examples. And I think we will not go too much in it, but to say there's also, um, let's say an aesthetical dialogue or, or, or conversation going on in contemporary theater uh, about this. Um, Claudia Bosse lives in Vienna and Berlin as a director, choreographer, artist, and director of Theaterkombinat. And her works deal with forms of violence, history, and concrete utopias, and take the form of spatial choreographies. Well, your work was uh, was shown in many places inside and outside of uh, Europe, and you also teach and reflect on it. And there are some quite interesting texts uh, on your thoughts on choir that we will also link on the on the website uh, later on. And um, I would say I keep it with this and um, hand over the the screen. Uh, for the video of, of Claudia, and uh, we will talk after the three inputs and meet here together again. Thank you, Florian, for the invitation to think about choir and its aesthetic political perspectives. Choir as assembly. Choir is a temporary self-experimenting and negotiating community. Choir constitutes a space of shared attentions. Choir is an organism with changing addresses, various orientations and sensibilities. How is the choir society? Or how does it form society? How is it political in its freely chosen dependence, in its relational articulation, in its non-frontal but space-grasping multi-perspective? The other becomes touchable through aesthetic articulation along specific scores as a way of testing other means, communication, liability, context, and in the activation of all senses. Choir is a physical mental space of negotiation, which visitors later change, disrupt, and participate in, in an artistic articulated proposal. Again, in a shared space of interconnected attentions. It's an assembly of knowledge and experiences. Devotion, disorder, order. Abandon oneself 
to others. Choir is not a means, but an aesthetic practice of an ever-threatened and threatening figuration, a constellation, a process. Choir is an invitation to encounter each other through something. This can be a text, a question, a motive or a movement, in a bond of mutual appreciation. A commitment for a time, to become a choir not as an identitary fixed position of the participants, but as a mutual invention and understanding with each other within this structure for time. Through the appropriation of scores, text, techniques or similar with dependencies, different languages, discussions, misunderstandings in the space of expanding and changing understandings. An invitation, an artistic invitation constitutes a group that decides to work together. Individuals, most of whom do not yet know each other, agree to engage with each other and an artistic practice as a collaborative investigation. In this examination, attention to different bodies and experiences is part of the practice. A making poros of bodies listening, breathing and intimacy with others, who in this case are mostly human. Choir is also a gathering of different interests that approach each other over a period of time negotiating their differences, experiences and understandings. Sharing, articulating, not always with words, but with actions in a physical articulation and space, space grasping. A connection to others previously unfamiliar is created. Society and play at the same time and they do not always have to be themselves but can explore and invent themselves as an empowerment of their own imagination and by creating disturbing, challenging, communal situations. Concrete imagination. The gathering as a, as a choir, as in suspend or exposition of oneself with others. An encounter in a mindful, productive and temporary dependence as a commitment to one another. The condition for this suspend or exposition is making one's own body recognizable. For politics to take place, the body must appear. I appear to others and they appear to me, which means that some space between us allows each to appear, writes Judith Butler in Bodies in Alliance. Bringing one's own body into play as an articulating body which is here relieved of a certain social performance and at the same time co-negotiates it through precisely an aesthetic encounter with social deviations. A game with consequences that trains the suspension of social distinctions and rules through the practice of certain forms of expressions, voice, articulation, relation, language, breath, movement, coordination, synchronicity. A shared experience emerges 
in which decisions can be made by all of its members. A shared space of knowledge and a shared practice, a shared learning about experiences. Concepts of gathering and creating public spheres in which society is not only mirrored but constantly tried out, performed, tested, reimagined, or even reinvented. This is a quote of the concept of the art of assembly. An assembly that takes place again and again and negotiates the condition of its encounters about perspectives of this not homogeneous group. As a shared knowledge about a question, a text or a practice on the basis of which this very group was first finding together. Not an agreement, but a gathering of different interests between residence permit, learning German, body practice, loneliness, interest in certain trainings or dealing with exactly the topic of the artistic invitation. The artistic invitation is the catalyst, the exceptional space within which the differences of the individuals can first be negotiated, the bodies to each other. Do we know what a body is capable of? What is it for itself and the other? Which bodies can be the bodies to each other? How do they change over the regular gatherings? We offer each other time and attention, ourselves. Bodies as social actors, as bound bodies and certain social, political, economic commitments, practices and performances of gender, desire, convictions and ways, just as each of these bodies is used to or allowed to articulate itself publicly and to others. Bodies as agents of their inherent senses and perception of the world, as agents of these outer skins of social articulation touchability. They are different and vulnerable, but also differently vulnerable. How can one at all communicate in a group? Which knowledge or structure of translations arises in each case? German, English, Farsi, English, Indonesian, German, Arabic, etc. The preconditions are different. What language, what knowledge is formed? What are the ways of articulation that makes themselves accessible to others? What languages does a particular body speak? What biographies and experiences are read from what attitudes that drawn in muscles that show themselves to each other? The posture as a psychic muscular mental arrangement which partly happens or has happened is becoming aware in the common gatherings. Perhaps also the recognition of the different sources of a self, of thinking and acting, a possible grasping and seizing through this contract of dedication to experiments and exercises with others. Each constellation of a choir creates through its participants the specific landscape of its possibilities a shared physical space of smelling, tasting, hearing, reaching, touching. A place as a space that creates the basis of this multi-layered, multi-perspective, multi-language gathering. A constellation 
a composition, a situation, a choreography that is then disturbed or cut or enlarged in another during the encounter with spectators. They become part of an extended community and also have to throw their bodies into this encounter. Jeter les corps dans la bataille. That comes from Pasolini, but which battle? A hypothetical one, a possible one, a fictional one. A space that then decomposes again and perhaps inscribes itself in other contexts and actions elsewhere. A communal exploration that spurs itself into other communalities. Then, that these gatherings, as a testing of a choir, are then perhaps rather trainings, trainings of a touchable sociality, which become aware of their being within. Aesthetic operations in which a distance, which makes what is shown an image or an objective announcement, become impossible. Because one is in the middle, part, in a shared space, part of a gathering which allows different orientations and senses, crosses differences, interweaves, connects. The whole, simply impossible, simply smash for experiment without reality, for self-understanding, noted Brecht in the comments of Fatzer. I'm another when I place myself at my disposal in this interplay with others that the play in the choir allows me. I become another with others that I absorb into myself. Your breath becomes my breath, we become our breath. The breath that enters my circulation is my oxygen supply of this divided matter that surrounds us, that touches our muscles, membranes and lungs, that pumps itself as O2 into our bloodstream and supplies our organs. This is our condition. This 20.942% in the air, with all the conflicts of the interstices that the difference raises between us and this attentive polyphony results in. What is the political relevance? Or what is also the commodification of the political? What are the established means by which voices or perspectives are invoked to call attention to circumstances which would otherwise go unnoticed? Which means are legitimate for this purpose? Which means are enforced? Which bodies speak how? But here, the focus is precisely the assembly itself. It is not a message about something, although this gathering had something as its occasion, an artistic practice, but the articulation in relation to each other, which changes in the course of this negotiation. By the way, the bodies show themselves, the biographs, biographies walk through them and make them touchable to each other. On the choral practice, which continued from research with ancient tragedies into other choral practices, and continues to run through my work. A series of interviews with the title Some Democratic Fictions began in 2011, together with Günther Auer. Interviews on situations of political upheaval 
triggered by the uprisings in North Africa. Interviews in Cairo, Alexandria, Tunis, Beirut, Athens, Zagreb, Jakarta and other places. These interviews were intimate encounters with camera and recording equipment that attempted to gather different narratives and views on striking political upheavals and organizations. Fragile political thinking and speculation of a political future unfolding around protests and narratives of assemblies, violence, different forms of violence. These interviews emerged from the conviction that multi-perspective narratives are needed around events of political upheavals, as history is negotiated precisely in this interstices of different narratives. But why do I mention this? How can I bring these intimate gatherings and narratives together with the practice of the choir? What aesthetic consequences result from this? What experience and thinking of art? I don't know. Maybe because I understand space-grasping choirs as polyphonic and multi-perspective assemblies of different positions. The how of this co-presence, also with the transgressing spectators which disturb or expand these choirs, results in an open negotiation that must find first the spatial boundaries and internal rules of these possible figurations collectively in the course of the encounter. Thank you, Claudia, for this very beautiful but also very dense video essay. I'm happy that we will talk about it more in a bit. And now I would like um, to introduce a bit more formally also the, the uh, Stop Shopping Choir and the Church of Stop Shopping which I mentioned already before a lot, but uh, the Stop Shopping Choir is a radical performance community based in New York City. And uh, as already mentioned, they are from many different creative and activist backgrounds and reflect many communities and homelands in their, in their work and how they work together. Uh, the choir has evolved a very particular sound and performance experience from the synthesis of their lived experiences. And they also, it's maybe just interesting in relation to the artistic context, the activist context where they are very present in, from Occupy movement to all kinds of social movements which they join. They also recognize in the art world, we've got, for example, an OB award and other things. Savitri D is an activist. She's the director of uh, Reverend Billy and the Stop Shopping Choir. And since 2001, she has staged the, uh, direct actions, interventions, and spectacles in contested spaces all over the world and collaborated with communities to create paths of resistance and resilience. And also she has le lectured and uh, led workshops in many universities and festivals, etc. Reverend Billy is a writer and performer and he developed the character of Reverend Billy in the late 1990s and currently he's creating a weekly radio show, Reverend Billy Radio and a live talk show, Extinction Talk Radio. Uh, thanks a lot for joining and um, you have the screen for your video. We assemble to know and to do together. We assemble to make things happen. We want to make things happen, to make new worlds. But we exist in a larger framework that is either at odds with our values or oblivious to our values. Sometimes the larger institution is simply doing something else. Here we have a general assembly inside Chase Bank to discuss what to do about Chase Bank. 
By having the assembly inside the bank, we make it explicit that we exist on their terms. But at some point, you can see the police enter into our terms. They become part of our meeting. The police are participants in our assembly inside the bank. This can occur because an assembly has a membrane, and the membrane is permeable. Song does this too, but the membrane is more permeable. People enter into the song, the melody, the beat, the repetition, even sometimes just the emotion of a song. People accidentally join song, cross the membrane, and for a moment they are in a new space where there is transformational potential. We, the Church of Stop Shopping, the Stop Shopping Choir, we are organized by song. Singing organizes us. Singing the song does most of the work. Breathing, listening, projecting, sounding, thinking, agreeing, committing, deciding, trusting, learning, teaching, changing, being changed. These are just some of the things that happen to us when we sing even a simple song together. Breathing, listening, projecting, sounding, thinking, agreeing, deciding teaching, changing, being changed. How long would it take to instruct or teach a group of people so they would do all these things at the same time, when even the simplest song achieves them all instantaneously? When we sing together, we are making decisions, making choices, practicing consensus, practicing assembly. Singing is a practice towards assembly. We are guided through the process by the structures of song, the conventions of song. Already we have seen many examples of this in many kinds of places, using the least structured songs stripped down to bare elements, shared musical vocabulary, rhythm, melody, tone, tempo, repetition, call and response. And another thing, song is a place of safety for our emotions. We are freed of so much pain. We can let go of disappointments and expectations. We can also try on other pains, trauma, personalities. In song, in the singing of the song, we can be liberated from our identity and we can simultaneously discover our identity. A song singing can be a hideout for our individuated selves. It can also be a place to show our deepest most individuated selves. It is often both a shelter and a stage. We are both protected and revealed by the song. The oscillation between these two states creates an elastic space where we can grow and change, discover and become. This heightened presence is the opposite of alienation. It is disalienation. The heightened presence we are allowed by the shape and time of song is an unusual space, somewhere to be that is both not here and now and a super here and now. In the Church of Stop Shopping, we use singing as an antidote to capitalism. We use it as a meeting place, as assembly. We know it is a very therapeutic space, a spiritual space, but is it a radical space? Is it a political space? The transformation of a group is the basis of political change. Song can be a radical space because there exists in song the possibility of collective transformation. The more radical we are, the less the song matters and the more the singing matters.
Song is invitational and generous. Songs welcome singers. People accidentally join song and are briefly outside themselves. And maybe in that moment they find themselves opposing the dominant culture, the state. It might feel experimental to them, like a door opening. That might lead them to new understandings, new agreements. decisions? Can the group make a plan? Remarkable things happen when we talk deeply with the right balance of structure and non-structure. That's true for singing. Remarkable things happen when we sing deeply too. Even though singing takes us down a very different road, one where productivity, efficiency, assignment, the work of meeting and doing might not be the primary drivers. Above all, what we can learn from a song is how to exist in time as a group. We learn that we can exist in time as a group. We learn that we can exist in a time and a place as a group even in extremely repressive and controlled environments. Song can shelter, and it often disarms and slows police and security. Assembly itself often has a way of showing us the questions, the possibility of the questions. For example, what do we want? What do we want? Singing both asks this question and answers this question. Singing together, we learn what it feels like to have what we want as a group. Maybe we don't know exactly what we want. Maybe the core questions are much more complicated than what do we want? What do we need? But one outcome of singing is that we discover what agreement and consensus feel like as a group. And perhaps we are more ready to confront the complexity of other, more difficult questions. What is fair? What is just? Who gets to be safe? movements are made of small groups, each one animated by the moment. Or the mass movement lights up, and these small groups coalesce and emerge from its momentum. It's usually both. 
Mass movements create and destroy groups, but we know that the emergence of movement depends on the readiness of many small practiced groups. Movements are one part of what we hope to create with assembly, with song. Resilient and cohesive movements, resilient and cohesive revolutions will be built on the resilience and cohesion of networks who practice resilience and cohesion. Singing is cohesion. It's an old technology and we have evolved with it, alongside it. Singing is one of the ways we learn to be together. This kind of singing, just one step from the chanting we expect in movement, is rooted in belief, at the very least belief in itself, in its form. song is ritual, not religious, is sacred, not secular, is meaning, not marketing. Song is a shared language, a system that we agree to believe in temporarily, an almost perfect exercise in imaginary possibility. Well, thank you, Savitri, for this beautiful video. I think it really gives uh, the yeah almost tangible uh, impression of the of the choir, of the intensity of the choir, but also of the atmospheres and uh, uh, and the environments and the context it is happening in. As our last uh, guest uh, tonight, um, Aliya Masalam uh, will, will join us with a live lecture, um, not analog, but live at least. Uh, Aliya Masalam is a cultural historian and writer interested in songs that tell stories and stories that tell of popular struggles. She's currently an EUME postdoctoral fellow at the Alexander von Humboldt Foundation in Berlin, where she's writing a book on the visual and musical archiving practices of the builders of the Aswan High Dam and the Nubian communities displaced by it. 
Uh, as an experimentative pedagogue, you founded the site-specific public history project Ichi Ya Tarich and taught at the American University in Cairo, Cairo Institute for Liberal Arts and Science and at the Freie University in Berlin. And I'm very glad that you're here and hand over the microphone to you. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to listen to Claudia and the Church of Stop Shopping to feed off their energy. Um, so since I'll be talking about something very sonic, the chants in the 2011 revolution, I'd like to start by playing it so we can hear uh, what we will be describing. Um, so maybe we can start with the, with the music. So what we just heard was uh, it was recordings of uh, chants from a uh, protest in 2007 and a protest in 2008 uh, that were done by Hossein al-Hamalawi, who's an active activist and a PhD candidate here in Berlin, uh, to Jan Tiersen's music, which, which must have been familiar to most people. Uh, the chants by the, the, the first group of chants was during a workers' protest in 2007. Um, and it, hearing them is very important because it, it reminds that, that what happened in 2011 started from the periphery. It didn't start in Tahrir and it didn't start with activists, it didn't start with political um, elites, but it started with, with the workers. More importantly for me, the, the, the chants that come after this one are from a 2008 revolution, a 2008 uh, protest in which I was part. And the chants that Hossein recorded are the ones we say, we don't want um, a constitutional amendment. We want to break this uh, uh, land of fear. Um, to listen to these uh, chants recorded now reminds that 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 there was something much that there was something much bigger, and there was a mo moment when the future was very uncertain, but we were sure that we were pushing towards something. And in mo moments of defeat and uncertainty, such as these, this stays with us. So, what makes a chant win? What makes people follow a certain chance? How do certain chants rise and others flop? How do hundreds of thousands uh, agree to to chant the same chant? Um, at first, I used to think it was poetry. And like you said, Florian, there used to be certain 
activists from the 1970s who were known to be the chanters in protests because they were eloquent, because they could improvise a, a rhyming chant on the spot that sounded very much like a song that people sang to liberate themselves, just like the church of Stop Shopping was de describing in the video. It, 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 it makes you brave. Um, it emboldens you to, to sing it. Um, but during, during the revolution in 2011, so many new chants came in and they had very different roles. So for example, the main chant was a shabby read is hot in the zone. The people want to demand the fall of the regime. And this is the chant that came to Egypt from Tunisia and that left from Egypt to Syria and that left from Syria to Yemen and went on and on. It was one chant and it's in classical Arabic. Which, which is usually never chanted in chants in 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 um, in protests in in Egypt in Cairo, for instance, would be said with the Egyptian colloquial uh, language. In Upper Egypt, would be with the different uh, accents or dialects of the different areas because they're so intimate. Uh, but this one carried a message and the message continued to be carried. And I believe that that is what made a string of protests or that is what made a bigger movement of all these different countries that they started with this one demand in the very same language, just like this idea of um, the Occupy movements. Um, what joined these movements is not what they called themselves and not what their leaders identified the movements of, but this one chant that was chanted in the very same language, something that didn't happen before and never happened since then. Chants were always how we made decisions. I mean, in the video we just saw, there was this question of um, uh, how, how do groups of people make decisions? How do they agree on what to do next? Um, one of the chants I remember most strongly in, in 2011 was Isbat, Stand Still. Uh, and this was a chant that I think came with the ultras, with the football fans that joined uh, the revolution um, and, and really ignited it in a different way. Uh, so, so this chant would happen when the police would start firing at protesters and you turn around and run. One person would shout, it but stand still. And then five people would shout it. And then 10 people would shout it. And then hundreds and then thousands. And with each person that shouts it, they stand still. And I remember on the 25th of January when we were running away from rubber bullets for the first time. I mean, I'd been in protest before, but never shot at. I remember closing my eyes and, and, and blocking my ears and just shouting this and like Claudia describes when she said your breath becomes my breath and we become our breath it, you just shout it and once you open your mouth you hear the, the sound of thousands um, as if it's your own voice and because it's one word it begins and ends simultaneously and as I said this as, as I kept repeating this word I, I would come outside myself I would be part of the whole and that emboldens greatly that you're not just one person that's that's being endangered, but you are part of this big hole and surely this hole is stronger. Once everyone was chanting the same chant, the wave turned and we would attack the police. This is one example. Um, another that's, that is very specific to, to, to January 2011 is Silmeya, which is peaceful. And this would happen in situations where the protesters would be attacking the police or throwing tear gas canisters back at, um, at, uh, at, the, um, at the security. Um, Silmeya would be shouted to say, you know, peaceful, peaceful. And this is what defined this protest as a, uh, this movement as a peaceful movement. 
Most movements in Egyptian history in 1919, for instance, right after World War I, would always start with violence. Um, and how people decide what kind of, of movement this would label itself as would usually come from the top, from the political elite. This, this revolution had no specific leadership, but it was this chance that people gathered around that determined what direction it would go in. And Silmeya is one of those things, is one of those chants that was very prominent um, and that determined that this was going to be a nonviolent revolution. Uh, not because anyone decided it, but because it came up every time there was an offensive by the protesters. Um, the chance also mobilize what you were saying, Chantal Mouffe was saying about how we don't think enough about how politics are about affect. Um, a very special chant that also uh, was specific to this time is one that called for people to join the protest. And the way it would be said is, um, uh, uh, So our families join us for freedom is for us and for you. And this would be chanted, chanted whenever the protests would be walking through a very residential area. So another image from the 25th of January that I never forget is walking through uh, at the very, towards the end, of, like towards midnight, walking through a very dark, narrow street in downtown Cairo with all the lights off and the buildings obviously asleep. Um, and then chanting this chant, oh, our families join us for freedom is for you and for us. And then slowly the lights sort of opening in different windows um, as people woke up to, to, to find out what was going on. And I think it's chants like these that are so emotive. Um, it's because of chants like these that are so emotive that millions joined protests for the first time in their lives um, and uh, risked their lives after never having been political. Lots of people joined the movements, um, the protests, especially on the 25th of January and never came home. Um, and their families didn't know where they went because they had never been to protest before. They had never been political before, but they went to the Friday prayers and then probably heard these chants and felt compelled to join, felt I mean, these chants make you realize that there is something that is worth this. There is something that is worth risking everything for. Um, that a whole world is, is possible. Words do that, not just words, the music of the words and the music and the beat is created by the march of the thousands that chant them. Um, and finally, there's historical uh, continuity. Um, when I uh, visited the protests in Suez, which is a city on the Suez Canal in Egypt that was involved in the resistance to the um, resistance to the Israeli army during the 1973 war, um, there was a moment when the Egyptian military was stranded in the desert and the Israeli military um, marched into the city. And the people had no choice but to resist themselves with what little weapons they had. And they were a handful of people. And at the time, there was a very famous song that they used to sing. Uh, and, and, and a part of that song, um, it's a verse that says, uh, and the bones of our brothers we will gather and collect and the bones of our brothers we will perfect. Um, and with these bones, our families we will protect. Um, and that, 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 that verse I heard being chanted in Suez during the protests, and I was shocked. I know it because I study this, because I write about the 50s and 60s, uh, but I was shocked that young people were singing it. So I kept asking people, do you, do you know where this chant comes from? 
and no one really knew. Um, they would say, no, not particularly. Do you know where this chant comes from? And I looked around to see if, if there was someone of that age from the 60s there. And no one necessarily knew what the origin of the chant was, that it came from a song, that it was a verse from a popular song. But they, they, they knew what sentiment it carried, that, you know, that this resistance um, that we're offering is the only way that we can continue, is the only way that we can protect ourselves now and our future. And that is a voice from history. That is a sen sensation from history and it's carried in this poetry. Um, finally, I once tried to, to, to chant on the 2nd of February at the end, at the very end of the revolution when Hosni Borok um, uh, stepped down uh, and I chanted this chant that said, you know, uh, you can hear the rhyme. Um, so civil, civil, we don't want um, a military uh, state and no one chanted back. <laughs> I'm sure it was eloquent, so I'm I'm sure it wasn't the eloquence, but that was a that was I mean one of the moments where I realized that it's not about the poetry, it's about an imaginary that that people shared that that they were willing to share, and at the time, I think most people were not were not willing to see it that way. Um, so yeah, this is this is what I would have liked to say. Uh, my favorite chant that that I remember until now is one in Muhammad Mahmoud Street, which is um, a very well-known battle that or a very important battle that happened in November of 2011 and again in December in a street called Muhammad Mahmoud downtown. Um, and it was very ugly. It was one of the bloodiest um, uh, battles because the, the police and the military had joined forces uh, and they were shooting at people and they were using expired tear gas. And also because a lot of people joined the protests again for the first time uh, and lost their lives. But a chant that was chanted thereafter was always remember them, it said, um, remember them Muhammad, remember them Muhammad Mahmoud, or remember us Muhammad Mahmoud. Um, they were hyenas, the ba, and we were lions. Um, it's very touching the way it's said in Arabic, and I always feel that it's a protest that the, a chant that was recording the event, documenting it for history as it was happening, and also um, sending a message to the street to keep this memory of the blood that was shed on the street. Um, just like Suez for when others come and, and, and protest or uh, battle on the streets, um, the sense of, of the battles that happened before them will continue seeping into them. Thanks again, Alia, also for your, for your lecture and for bringing these moments back and, and, and in a really intense, intense way. Mm -hmm. um, I maybe, maybe an off question, it relates to what you were saying, uh, because of course you were talking about the history of this of uh, of the movements, but also history of, of certain chants that reappear many years later, uh, which of course is maybe also something um, especially um, remarkable because uh, there there are times and years in before between where I imagine there was no chanting. So and I and 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 so it's not like okay every year there's like in Germany the Easter March where you can at least if only five people come but they can repeat the slogans and you can uh, keep them on. So there's there's times I guess of of of, of other silence or maybe maybe you could uh, maybe talk a little bit about it uh, in the current situation because of course we all know that um, 
unfortunately the course event was not as as it was hoped for and the enthusiasm has worn out and the situation is rather extremely dire but um do do these movements live on at the moment in some way i mean i guess the chants don't live on but maybe even then but do these movements live on at the moment and how does how's the situation uh, at, at the moment I mean, it's, I mean, to, 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 we, you can't say that the that the um, that the enthusiasm has has run out because I think people are 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 desperately uh, political actually now. Uh, the problem is that the streets are no longer accessible. I mean, you have a very heavy-handed military regime, strongly armed. Um, uh, people are being put in jail all the time and. I mean, the positive and 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 um, most devastating aspect of the situation now is that you have a very new generation of people who know an alternative world is possible because they saw 2011 unfold, and these young people are now the main targets. The jails are full of teenagers who are arrested as teenagers and now are in their mid to late twenties, and they are promising. They are they they are promising and. Their academic interest and their political ideas, in their talents for writing and and drawing. I mean, and so so this is dire. But I mean, the prison writings that are coming out now and the the drawings of the situation in prisons are unprecedented. I mean, we are always very critical that prison writings from the 60s and the 70s glorifies people who have been to prison and who have survived. But the prison writings that come out now with young people who come out of prison are so moving. And I am sure that they will somehow have an effect on, I mean, this ending of this horrid, I mean, this, this, this the epitome of evil uh, of uh, a human race this idea of prisons and incarceration. Um, so, I, I mean, it continues by other means. It continues through these young people. It continues through the independent journalism that has grown in Egypt, despite it being barred, not being accessible in Egypt, still being accessible through proxies and to the rest of the world singing. I mean, the, the kind of art that is being produced now is still political. I mean, people still dare. The physical spaces that we carved out in the early 2000s, and were already being carved out before us in the late 90s are no longer there. But I mean, what we chanted for in the chants we heard in the beginning in 2006 and 2007 seemed absolutely impossible. And look what happened five years later. Um, yeah. and, and as for history, I, I like to believe it's a haunting. I, I think things persist, and this is why I'm very interested um, in my academic practice in songs and uh, and music and lullabies. I mean, how these stories continue to flow from one generation to another. And even if you don't know the context, the songs carry so much and they, they break down and proceed. They continue through time. I was very interested in what you were saying about instruction. You know, for instance, the chant peaceful. Right. Um, it's interesting. Last summer, when we had an uprising here in New York for Black Lives, um, the sort of the opposite happened, which was that the the older activists were saying peaceful, and the younger activists were saying no to that and and silencing the peaceful chant. Right. So, it's very interesting to to think about chants as directions for a crowd, but then also this moment, like who gets to give the directions? Fascinating, and it plays out. 
um, over and over, you know, through generations. We've lived in New York and been part of enough uprising and big movement here to see, you know, what what carries forward, you know, the, the, the anti-globalization movement here, there was a lot of shared chance, there was a lot of international knowledge and um, shared movement building. Uh, now we see that's all gone, like it's a very localized and, and very, uh, uh, di comes directly from the communities who are in the street, you know, so yeah. it's fascinating to watch. Maybe we stick uh, at the moment with which you just mentioned, Savitri, and it was uh, playing a role in the videos, of course, like uh, in all of, of your, your talks, um, the role how it's actually organized. So that there's something, there's some kind of decision making going on. And of course, it's very different in a, in, in a let's say, in a performance of you, Claudia, where, where you, of course, uh, you're the director, it's a different relationship, but also you mentioned it, and another text also mentioned that there's also negotiation. So, so I think you somewhere said also, can it? be directed or when it becomes independent to a degree so uh, so maybe uh, and and uh, and uh, well you, you talked about it um, quite clearly earlier and Savitri you mentioned it also uh, the question of who, who makes decision in the choir so maybe you could uh, talk a little bit and maybe Claudia you could start about um, how decision making is is happening but also how it is a topic because i think that's something else that basically was mentioned you mentioned it quite uh, quite strongly claudia that there's also a self-reflexive moment in the choir so it's also always talking about itself in a degree and uh, so maybe you you start uh, with mm. i can try now i um i think what is for me quite crucial in the work so i think there are different works on choir there's a work when you work with a text with a texture like one element you saw there was a text of the Persians of Aishilo. So there is a fixed text and it's uh, the negotiation about the methods of appropriation of the text and the organization of the group, which is quite uh, important for me because I'm what you saw as videos, there's always a spectator and the choir members mixed. So I'm always interested in this perforated space, which is a permanent poros uh, and open body which cannot, which is not directed in the very moment. So there's for me always a difference between scores. So what is, uh, what we try to train for and what is the techniques of training and what is then the very moment of when it happens and when it needs to negotiate between the participants and also towards this non-foreseeable body of public, which is, crossing and networking in this trained uh, ways of interconnections. Mm -hmm. So then it means always that the decision making needs to be um, done in the very moment with all members in the very moment. So there's no one who takes a decision. There's a knowledge or a certain agreement what we try to create, but it's impossible to control in the very moment. So everyone can take a decision. And everyone, and this is for me this extremely interesting thing. So when it's not just a text, but it's also about movement choirs, which I'm extremely interested in. So there's a coordination of a movement with bodies which are perhaps between 14 and 80. So how to, how to um, understand the possibilities of this very body, which is a temporal body, which is the landscape of all its members and how is the communication 
and the tenderness and the dedication in this particular attention to each other. So there's a score or knowledge about what we try to create or heading for, but then there's this radical uh, presence <laughs> where you have to deal with everything what happens at the very moment, which I find extremely interesting. So the, so the choirs are not frontalities, they are always like a space creating networks which which include or 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 um, infect or affect the body of the public which becomes a part or which becomes a counterpart at the very moment so there are just different layers of decision making depending on which kind of choir we're talking about i mean you're very much describing the landscape of a protest so it's interesting you know because um, you know, in, in the laboratory of like a, a theater space or, or, or this group of people working in this very focused way, um, the same things happen because what you just described is almost perfectly what happens in the street, you know, with this added pressure of the security apparatus, whatever it is, you know, it's interesting. Maybe humans yeah, were just yes. in a way, we're very simple. We always do the same things, you know, no matter where we are. <laughs> It's yeah, this... there's a game, there's a kind of aesthetic game, but it's perhaps a training for, it's a training for the streets or perhaps a training for other situations. It's staying still in this kind of artistic uh, rules of game in a certain way, but which always touch the, the social and political body at the same time. But it's, it's also, I think, a very human, um, it's a very human experience. It's a synchronicity. It's creating this synchronicity, whether by getting people to sing the same thing at the same time, or it creates a sort of telepathic, or I don't know, it, it creates some sort of union um, that helps people think as a group, even if it's not about someone standing at a pod on a podium and saying, okay, we need to do this. And, and it's, it says something very important somehow that, I mean, in, in, I mean, during the Black Lives Matter protest, there's no way you could have been peaceful with the police. I mean, it's too late. Um, and I mean, the same eventually happened with Egypt. At that moment, there was this, there was, there was this need to win the police and the, and the military over. I think there was this attempt for it. But I think speaking together, singing together, breathing together, like you were saying, Claudia, I think that creates an, an, another people being together on another level. Um, but that's why I just want to say, uh, just, well, actually, um, a short remark because I forget it always in the in the beginning. I should say for everybody out there because there's no possibility of commenting and question uh, bringing questions at the moment. We will in um, in a couple of minutes um, send a link uh, that you click on and then you can join us in the Zoom for an after talk, which is a bit more informal and uh, bringing all questions in there and so on. So just to say. say for everybody out there, you're very welcome to stay with us and then join the conversation in a moment after we um, close it in here. I think it's, uh, I mean, uh, this relation between inside and outside that came up already is of course uh, super interesting in this because it's like, I, I think it's both, or you mentioned most, most of you mentioned both. There's the, the violent outside, uh, even, even 
if it's just an audience, let's say that might not hit you in a theater co context, but still there's a certain, especially when you perform outside, there's a certain um, certain outside that can be also threatening to, to uh, up to very re realistic uh, threats uh, in, in, in activist context. And at the same time, there's a, um, a porousness, a permeability that uh, that you also mentioned, Cla uh, Claudia and Savitri, that there's the difference is not so clear between the inside and outside, which I find really interesting also in terms of, because that's also a bit describing political movements very often, or, uh, like, yeah, the violence of the outside and and something in the choir which kind of makes you a group strengthens you as a group might be also exclusive you might not know the lines or you feel like um you don't belong but the movement wants to be exclusive so it's always about being open and being able letting people to enter to a degree so this whole complex of inside outside i find i find uh, very very interesting but perhaps sometimes i think it's interesting the question is the expression of a choir, um, is, do you think then it's a group or is it perhaps also the, the trying to find an, uh, a kind of connectivity, also the negotiation of a group? So I think it's not uh, often what I find what is quite, for me, quite um, what is not so satisfying for me when we communicate the choir of a status. Of a, of a means of something which is already secured. But I think what for me is highly interesting and why I stick on this work, and I think also what Savitri and, uh, and, and you are trying, it's like, it's, it's this total solitude, it's total mess up, it's this total frustration can happen mm -hmm. because, because I think the choir, it's a permanent process of instability. And if you accept this, then it's also, um, I think it's in a really interesting uh, circumstance of negotiation, which is not just an intellectual negotiation, but it's a physical thought and which creates a, a, um, a particular space in between the bodies and creates more as just the bodies and creates also this network, which then is invaded in with others or can be, can be growing with others in between. So just as a remark, sorry. Interesting. I, I agree with Claudia, the, the, uh, the community choirs that are less uh, coming from a religious a set, set of beliefs, but the community choirs that are out in public space, they have a different, a different uh, uh, anarchic decision-making process. I find it much more beautiful much more enjoyable. If you if you go on the internet and there are uh, if you go on YouTube or something and there are all these different choirs, there are the choirs that are that meet once a week because that's all they can meet because they they have lives to live and they're mothers and they have jobs and so forth. And then you go down and you can get into the uh, the uh, the choirs that are more professional that meet more often and have sheet music and they get smoother and smoother and they hit the downbeat at the same moment and they go up into the harmonies and the harmonies are perfect and they become less interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I think the instability inside of our, yes. uh, inside of our monoculture, you know, is so important. And it is, it is such a radical place to be because everything in our culture wants us to, 
to homogenize really to be a monoculture that is what capitalism is doing to us in every sector you know so to find these places of almost it sounds weird to say predictable instability you know yes. you know you can find it i know every mm. time we can find that in unstable you know place to me you know that's just something to pay attention to you know I, I totally agree because I often think the choir is, is used or misunderstood as a synchronized something, right. but it's, it's not the knowledge of the negotiation in this and the beauty is uh, the, the destruction, the potential danger, which is always there, but which is a part of this kind of uh, heterogeneous and polyphony, which just makes the choir ex exist in the very moment when this um, coordination can happen. And this on a political momentum, I find super interesting because there's a total attention and wish, but the acceptance, and it's a very moment of negotiation which happens concretely. And you ho have to take care of all the bodies because the, the choir is so um, intelligent or so, um, the choir is the, it's, it's the number and the possibility of all its bodies taken in account, which I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry, no, <laughs> please continue. <laughs> no, I was just wondering one thing that the choir, and it's partly it was answered now because one of the questions I also had was and uh, also in relation to the movements and the assemblies we were talking in the past editions is the question of consensus versus versus plurality. So, uh, so is it? Is it desirable to, to try to create a consensus all the time, or is it actually kind of avoiding that there there is a plurality of, of opinions in there? And and somehow the choir, of course, comes together negotiation process that you, that you described um, in, in in Ontario Square, for example, is is happening. But at the same time, then the other things you just mentioned there, so there's not a perfect harmony. Maybe there's something negotiated, or it comes to a harmony, but and then disappears again. I find this quite quite interesting. So how much dissensus, how much disagreement can acquire, uh, can acquire uh, actually yeah, uh, live with? <laughs> and when does it break apart? And, and, and how does it shape a shift? So, so which happens on Tahir Square? So, so could there be a negotiation within the choir, as you described it uh, on Tahir Square, uh, of what, what becomes the consensus for a moment, or falls the choir apart at this moment? So did you have choirs falling apart, Claudia and, and Savitri and Billy? So where, where the consensus was? Is... But always, I think. But I think it's interesting because the wish for this practice or this commitment in trying to do it offers uh, the plateau for dissent. So this physical practice of, of acceptance and the, the concrete experience of difference in the physical bodies and the difference of bodies which are everyday different offers the um, a different space of difference in the opinions and the convictions which can then take part because this practice offers a space where dissent can appear this is a paradoxical element which is often i think misunderstood 
it's also about moments i think it's about time i mean um and context uh, but it's i mean in 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 the revolution in general not just in tahrir there there were moments when it was clear this needs to be done uh, or it became clear um or an idea picked up like the burning of the police stations for instance at the time i was in alexandria not in tahrir and i couldn't understand why we were burning police stations i was in in the processions going to the police station and inevitably there, but I was panicking because I was doing something that I hadn't thought about um, or thought enough about. Uh, and eventually after it was done and the city was in flames, I started asking people very hysterically, why did, did we burn police stations? And people would say, because then otherwise tomorrow we'd all be arrested. Um, otherwise tomorrow we'd all be locked up in these stations. Otherwise tomorrow, that is popular wisdom. That is just wisdom that developed at that point in time. And I mean, if it, if it happened again now, people might not do it because of all the ways it's been analyzed and thought about. But at the moment, that was popular wisdom. Um, and you found yourself doing it um, or watching it happen. I think that's one of the values of, of movement, right, is that we, we feel and understand this sort of, I don't know, I would call it maybe harmonious plurality, right? It's not yeah. consistent. You know, there's many times when I have similarly been like, oh, wow, this is what's happening. I'm here. And, you know, um, but harmonious plurality is is very far away from consensus, you know, and and it's in motion and it's in play, you know, so it's it's a much more unstable place, you know, than consensus and also maybe easier to achieve and more worthwhile, you know, because then we're all testing our boundaries, our personal ones more. Collective intuition, maybe? Yeah. Something. Rather than consensus, something that's not rational. Um... That's, that's one really interesting. Smile. They smile when they witness a choir coming by. There's a, uh, an erotic public quality that makes people smile. They, they, they get something. They understand mm -hmm. something. Um, we, we experienced that when we went to... Uh, Ferguson, Missouri, in the first Black Lives Matter iteration, and Standing Rock. You know, there's something that's understood way across cultures. Oh, bodies, yeah. lo love, love. The Standing yeah. Rock thing, actually, when you were talking about the historical, uh, you know, roots of chance and where things come from, I think that that will show us in in future years we will all uh, many people who are involved in movements will look back at standing rock as this very initiating moment many people went there and also never went home and we're still seeing the language of standing rock seep out into the world um similarly it's interesting and besides it, that's also the um, and you you also claudia say it somewhere i think like from, at least from a german perspective uh, of course the uh, there's a certain tradition of of, of choirs, of, of group speaking, especially uh, language choirs, not singing choirs, but even with singing choirs, which is of course quite disturbed and twisted and interrupted uh, by the by the history uh, and and by the uh, third uh, the traditions of the Third Reich, uh, where even a normal choir, certain folk songs would disappear and so on. So there's a and then there was uh, and and I think in theater a lot of the choirs. You know, Einar Schleif's famous in Germany, famous choirs uh, 
on stage would still reference this. They would reference also this violence to it. And 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 then there was something changing. And I think you said it in one of one other interview, Claudia, also that something changed around around 2011 with these movements uh, that 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 uh, changed the perspective on on choirs, but also brought in something that a lot of other movements were lacking. This this effect that is necessary to become to become a popular movement, not only to have arguments on your side, but also have an effective. Uh, effective uh, quality to it. So mm -hmm. I think it's really quite interesting to, uh, to to see this this shift that happened also on a broader scale. Uh, yeah, of course it had predecessors, but suddenly it became something uh, wow. viral. Mm. Can you can you describe this this shift, Claudia? That that uh, in in the vector of priors. Uh... Um, I don't. I I think I, I don't know. Perhaps there are two elements because this one image that you saw. Uh, so I did this big uh, citizen choirs 2006 in Geneva first at the Théâtre de Grutli, and then 2008 in Braunschweig. And this was a time where I felt the body as an argument in an assembly is it's a bit it's not the point because everyone was not believing anymore in this kind of or in my cultural background that the body as a as a as a assembled matter smelling touching reaching other bodies was quite weird and you always had this fascist um people reacted really strong on this composition that you enter on a stage and on the stage you are in the choir and the people of the choir are more as the spectators and they move you as a spectator so you have a spectator being in this breath in the sound in this movement you have to take decision being in this uh, normal people movement but they have tools of coordination and you didn't know how to deal it uh, to deal with it so you were inside a situation where you couldn't take a distance mm -hmm. towards an image ah they want to represent me this or and i don't think quiet it's about representation but perhaps another question i tried to stay with florian's question and i think so <laughs> and then and then something happened for me uh individually because uh on the political movement on the street i didn't believe on it anymore after the, our iraq uh, uh, counter Iraq demonstrations on the street, but then with 2010, so uh, Bouzizi burned himself, and then the Tunis movement, then the Egypt movement. So all this movement suddenly happened, and suddenly I became really excited with with the body again on the street. And we visited Egypt, and we saw, oh God, it not looks like like a demonstration. It looks like a marketplace where you have at the same time. Uh, 20 parties so the one man with the cardboard and then the big uh the big uh, technical uh speakers so it was a complete i was like what the fuck is going on here i couldn't understand <laughs> so it was really a heterogeneous polyphony yeah in between and then the body came something suddenly it it, it connected also with the occupy movement with a with a political argument but then all what happened, what happened recently, and now we all fucking sit in our screens and to think about what is around becomes so unprobable, and you can just talk with trees or whatever because it's the argument of the body on one hand of the political, um, what happened, especially in Egypt, 
what is quite traumatic. So they can assemble to make a sarcophag, uh, a big sarcophag, changing the sarcophag from one museum to the other. But the thing of political assembly, it's the people are so threatened. So it, it shifted so much. And I'm at the moment quite confused. What is the argument of assembly? Is it just a, a playground for political activists? But then the militia and the political regime will trap and control and imprison people like Mahinur and many people. So I'm, I don't know anymore. I, I don't know, but this was a big change. And then it comes again, an argument on the stage, but I don't know, but I still believe on the practice with a choir. I believe on a practice encountering regularly the same people and trying to find a concrete imagination in a practice which is not a role play, but which is uh, trying an empowerment of imagination with concrete acts together. And where suddenly the poetical space becomes for me again a space where I can think politics again, because I so confused about um, how the police apparatus and, and state apparatus tried to control bodies on different ways. So there am I now at the very moment. Of course, it's I don't not, know. not just the police controlling it. I mean, then you have the whole question of it being turned into, you know, culture, into commodified culture, yes. which is just as problematic and just as confusing. You know, and so then you see, you know, in New York, it's very interesting. All these spaces were, that have been political spaces for us are being turned into professional entertainment venues, right? Where people talk about politics in a commercially viable way. So suddenly our spaces are not just controlled by police, they're controlled by entertainment, mm -hmm. which is, so where, where, is the, where is the venue for this kind of language and this kind of change and the instability of the chorus, you know, and I, uh, yeah, it's a very deeply confusing time. We have to interrupt them. We have to go up on their stages and take the stages from them. Yeah, and then it's... But sometimes you cannot give, you know, you're always reduced to having clear paroles and clear political messages. So this message commodification of political activism, I think it also sometimes, it, it confuses me at the same time. So you have to legitimate your position always with a good, moral, clear position where you want to act for. And this also sometimes becomes... Uh, you know you are on the right side and how then a commodification of a political force can also happen but sometimes things are more vulnerable to find their clear positions and where this ambivalence can be handled out it's it's for me quite a question thanks maybe it's a good idea actually to stop with the question this time and not with them exclamation mark or sum up um, that's maybe quite fitting thank you for that claudia and thanks everybody for joining claudia bosse savit ridi reverend billy and alia mosalam it was really a very inspiring conversation for me uh, with a lot of uh, surprising uh, links and uh, and um, and uh, insights into the format of the choir and i'm also very happy uh, to talk about the choir today because we are anyway in this absurd situation of talking about assemblies in a moment where we cannot assemble uh, but the choir actually is the most forbidden thing of all art forms i think um, 
So uh, uh, we are basically not allowed to sing and breathe and chant uh, uh, because uh, this seems to be the most dangerous thing we can do to our fellow uh, humans at the moment. Um, so I'm, I'm, well, I'm happy that we at least um, are reminded of this practice now. And uh, and um, well, as Alia pointed out, chants can survive for decades. Uh, even if they are not publicly used. So I'm very confident that also this practice of uh, assembling, of resisting, of creating art will be back soon. And um, with this, I uh, also briefly want to say that for the next session of the Art of Assembly, I'm supposed to be joined by Didier Ribon and Chantal Mouffe. Um, this was supposed to happen analog, for the first time of this in this series uh, during Wiener Festwochen in May. This is postponed now, so we're looking for a new date, and I hope it will happen before the summer. And also other episodes will come up, so please have a look at the website if you're interested. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. <laughs>